Hello everyone and welcome to the podcast. If you are looking for a cost-effective way to bring a custom design to life for your marching band or indoor drumline, head over to marchingartsociety.com where you can sign up to get all of your design needs met. We offer full custom packages as well as drill design, music arrangements, graphic design, program coordination, and choreography. We would love to help you bring your program to the next level. So go to marchingartsociety.com and save your spot for the upcoming season. This podcast is sponsored by FJM, Fred J. Miller Incorporated. FJM is the leader in marching arts uniform manufacturing and continues to set new standards in groundbreaking design, superior service, and over 60 years of industry innovation. You can find the latest marching band, color guard, drumline, and drum corps uniform designs, as well as shop the marching arts merchandise store at fjminc.com backslash society. I've used this company a countless number of times in my career and have always been amazed at what they design. The creative team is easy to work with, the uniforms are affordable, and they've always helped me bring my ideas to life. If you enter your discount code SOCIETY at checkout, you'll receive 10% off your online merchandise order. That's SOCIETY at checkout to receive 10% off any online merchandise order. Fred J. Miller Incorporated, found at fjminc.com backslash society. What is up, everybody? This is Ryan Ellis, and you are listening to the Marching Arts Society podcast, episode number 25. In this episode, I interviewed Donnie Ross, the executive director, program coordinator, and front ensemble arranger for Cap City Percussion, and the percussion caption head for the Madison Scouts. We discussed Donnie's overall approach to pageantry design and how Cap City has developed over the years. Uh, so we just started a conversation that we stopped because I wanted to record it because I thought it was going to be really interesting. You've recently started wind arranging on top of the other avenues of design that I know you've been doing for quite some time. And I'm always interested in what the early stages of design look like because I don't feel like they get discussed very much. And I certainly have my own experiences of when I first started and the mistakes that were made and, and things like that. Can you kind of shed some light on what the early processes of wind arranging looks like? Uh, it's a lot of trial, a lot of error, a lot of failing, mostly tears, lots and lots of tears. Um, no, really, uh, I played, I guess most people don't know this about me. Uh, when I was in middle school, I started off as a trumpet player. I played trumpet for three years. Um, I switched over to tuba after that. So I, I definitely have a, you know, a pretty good pedagogy in, in brass, although it's been a, a long, long time since I played. Like I understand what it's like for those instruments, the ranges, et cetera. Um, I struggled a lot with just woodwinds and just different ranges. Uh, the clarinet, uh, I learned very quickly, has a break that it's really tough to play over, especially for high school aid kids. So there's definitely a curve for each instrument, uh, just above and beyond like arranging the music or what, how to orchestrate it amongst the band. Uh, so learning what that was for each instrument was really tough. And it's, it's something that's uh, like an ongoing process, you know, every day, every time I arrange something, I've got a few schools that are like really awesome with this and you know one school was uh the, the band director is is a clarinetist and he's he's quite good and he, he really helped me like kind of understand that instrument uh so that i could use my skills and abilities in arranging and also like you know not make his clarinet kids suck so that was cool but it's it's just a lot of trial and error i mean i with that more than percussion i'm usually just arranging things on my own for a long time that like aren't going to go out to anybody whatsoever i'm just like trying to you know, sharpen the ax and get better and better and better at that. Do you feel like there's a lot of carryover in terms of like the skills that you've learned doing percussion arranging for as long as you have into wind arranging? Like what are the big similarities you think, the things that aren't different about it? The things that are 
aren't different. That are not, so, yeah, that are not different. What's similar between your background in percussion arranging that's transferring into wind arranging? Um, I mean, this was probably pretty obvious, but just being more aware of like who's playing what rhythm at the right time. Um, I'm a huge fan of not trying to have opposing rhythms in the score and having, uh, you know, having the winds element in there. Uh, there's that rhythmically, but then also just being aware of what sounds we're creating percussively versus what articulation I'm asking the winds to play. Um, I've realized that even just getting better at that in the last few years, that that's, that's really helped a ton. Um, but past that, I mean, th there are a lot of things that, that transfer over, especially when it comes to just realizing how many voices are playing at the same time is the density or the clarity of intent, what's going on in the music package. Um, a lot of that stuff transfers over for sure. Yeah. I, I, I feel like one of the big hurdles in the design process early on is learning the difference between how things exist inside of software and how they exist in reality. Uh, and that like applies to a bunch of different things. I remember the first time I ever wrote indoor drill, I made like every mistake you can make, of course, like most people do. Um, and I, I went and saw it in person after I had written it inside of Pyware and like every interval was like half the size that it needed to be. It was like the most compressed drill of all time. But in the software, I was like, this looks great. This looks like exactly what it's supposed to look like. Um, so it's, it's challenging, you know, and I, I feel like as I get older, I'm assuming as you do too, there's, there's like a comfort level and acceptance to the fact that you just got to make some mistakes. Like you got to just do it and you don't know what you don't know. Um, to some extent, are you able to see any of those groups in person? Like what are the big errors you feel like you've made in the early part of your process that you've since fixed? Um, yes. And yes. Uh, there, I've got a group in, at least in Ohio, in OMEA, I've got a group in every class that I've written percussion and wins for. And so th that allows me to see, you know, with a different size band, exactly how my product is coming across. Um, and most importantly, like what, what's working and what's not working. And, you know, I, I feel like in the last two years, I've really thrived in finding what makes a small band sound good, what makes a small ensemble sound good. Um, and just not asking them to do things that they can't do. Like if the effect is going to be them holding out a note for 16 counts, but they only have 30 some win players, that's never going to be effective, but they could come through and play something really vertical and punctuated with the entire ensemble. And that would communicate more of a strong, you know, finale to a movement. Uh, that's just one example. Uh, but I definitely have schools here in the area that I can, you know, I write, I get to like see, see and hear my product on a pretty normal basis. Um, what was the other half of the question? Sorry. Just came just what are the, what are the, so obviously you're, you're not brand new to doing this. You've gotten your, you know, some seasons in your reps and what specifically are like the, you had mentioned some of it in regards to the clarinet instrument in particular, but what, from like a macro design standpoint, arranging, what are the bigger mistakes you felt like you made that you didn't realize you made them until you got to witness the product in person? Um, I, I just kind of alluded to one, but like asking, especially brass players to play long tones for a really long time. Um, that was, that was a hurdle to get over is just, you know, how much is, how much is too much. Um, another one is, you know, and it, it makes a huge difference whether I'm also like programming for the school or not, but early on, uh, whoever was programming the show, they said we wanted to do this tune and this tune and this tune. Uh, I would, you know, my process is that I would go find that music and whether that's a lead sheet or maybe there's like a, a transcription that somebody started that I can like use as like a ground level to take off with. Um, 
but what I would do is go through and I would arrange the entire tune. That way I had every single element that was in there if I wanted to to use it, to play off of it, uh, whatever the case might have been. But for me, the, what ended up being the negative to that was I had heard it so many times and I was so like latched on to exactly how it should be that every piece of it, you know, became important the way that it was. So I just found it really hard to like stray away from that, if that makes sense, from a creative standpoint. Um, and what that led to in our world is just a lot of pacing issues. You know, if there's a three and a half minute or four minute pop tune on the radio. They get four minutes to say one thing that's really important in a couple of different ways. And most of the times in marching band, we've got like a minute, a minute and a half to really get that message across. So I had to get better at really condensing that material above and beyond, like finding ways to make it work for the instruments. Yeah, that's great. Jim. I feel like so much of good design is separate from creativity. Not to say that creativity isn't like necessary or an integral part of the process, but like you just mentioned so many things that at least and upon listening to them, like aren't creative, but are a necessity to having a good product, like pacing, um, like endurance of the performers who are playing that particular passage, how things sit in the hands on certain instruments, um, what they feel like, how it's read in a certain form. Like I, there's so many, I guess, uh, runways that the show has to exist inside of the creativity of the show has to exist inside of to be performed. Well, I usually feel like, at least in my case, those were the things that I learned later. Like I felt like when I was younger, I was like, Oh, there's all these cool things you could do. And then when I tried to do them, they wouldn't work. And I didn't understand why. Cause I was like, I know, you know, this is fresh, so to speak. And this is new, but it's like falling on its face uh, because it's like not in line with these just good practices. Um, which I guess is just testament to the time it takes to be able to kind of master some of the craft that this is. Um, this transitions well into some of what I wanted to talk about on the Cap City side of things. We, I don't even know if you remember this, we started a conversation, I think it was over a phone call a couple months back, a couple weeks back, I remember when it was, sometime after the summer probably. And it was really interesting. And I thought like, okay, we got to hash it out more, which was about the thought of branding when it comes to indoor drumline and ensembles having certain brands from a show concept standpoint. Um, and what I asked you, and I'd love to hear your thoughts, especially elaborate on more than what we had the time to flesh out at that time, is now, Cap City's been around for 14 years, something like that? Yeah, 13 years. 13 years. Okay. So 13 years, which is long enough, I think, for a lot of the public who are, you know, spectators or adjudicators or just watching WGI actively to have like a brand expectation when it comes to Cap City, like they do with any group that they see on a regular enough basis. But what I was curious about for you in year 13, how much of that brand do you consciously stick with or are you trying to actively pivot away from? Like, are there pillars of that you, you like associate, like this is a pillar of what the Cap City design brand is and we're gonna stay with this in a new way? Or do you feel like this is what we want to abandon? We've already done that. We want to find a different place to go. Like, how do you kind of wrestle that on like an off season process going into the creative time? Uh, really, I mean, I guess that kind of starts with the last thing you said, like wrestling with it in the off season. Like, first of all, I think you and I both know there's not really an off season ever for any of this stuff. Um, it's really like, Hey man, I got two days to decide whether I really like still believe in this stuff or not. Um, and that's sometimes like a really daunting ask of yourself. Um, <clears throat> when the end of the season comes around for me, um, I really try to do this in two or three waves just so I can be, you know, immediately removed from the product and the outcome 
and then a little bit and then completely far removed. Uh, for instance, like my feelings on using Cap City, my feelings on the the mother show in 2022 now versus even six months after finals that season uh, are just completely different. Um, <clears throat> so it's kind of hard to sift through and figure out exactly like, ooh, I like this and I didn't like this because sometimes those feelings are just so skewed. Um, <clears throat> but I do enjoy, I don't know, like it's kind of weird to describe. Like I, when I watch the group perform live, I sometimes like watching people watch the group, if that makes sense, more so than like watching my own kids. Cause it's like, you know, this is a product that I've seen 10,000 times, you know, every Friday and Saturday and Sunday night. Um, but I love watching people and how they react to it. So for me, that process kind of comes from asking myself, like, why did people react like, you know, this option a, or why did they not understand this part of the concept or why? So I start asking myself questions like, was it a design, you know, plus for us? Was it a design flaw for us? Or, or was this something that the performers were able to elevate to this level? Um, so for me, starting with those sorts of questions helped me really put my finger on the pulse of what our identity is, so to speak. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I could talk all day about what I think that is and, and where I think we're going. Um, but I, I think that's always a good start at the end of the season. Like for the last, I don't know, this will be the, I guess, three years now, we've done three, you know, or two and will be three completely different shows from what I would consider, excuse me, normal for Cap City. And the reason has just been, again, really trying to put my finger on the pulse of what this is. Um, I used to be told for a really long time, especially when we first started that, you know, when you watch the performers, like they love it and they're like so excited about it and they're very invested in what they're doing. And that sometimes, you know, people didn't know <laughs> what that was. Uh, or what that element was in the show at all times, which I think that's okay, especially when you get in the world class, you know, there's, there's always layers that people will understand. And there's for everyone, there's 10 more layers that are more important to me. Um, <clears throat> but it's, it's that, I think that sort of like attachment that the performers have. Um, so that's something that, you know, we've been trying to uh, latch onto, especially, like I said, this going on three seasons now as like, Hey, this is a staple of cap city that we don't want to let go of. Um, and from there, it's just like, you know, all right, could we lose this element? Do we have to do, do we have to do a character show? Do I have to use giant props? Do I have to do this? And most times the answer is no, like we can still achieve, you know, what makes us uniquely us by letting go of some of those other things. Um, yeah, <laughs> there's a couple of tangents there that we could go on, but that's, that's really far currently coming out of the season, so. The one that's interesting is you were talking about is getting the performer buy-in, um, which is a massive part of what I think makes Indoor Drumline enjoyable from the audience perspective is being able to watch the performers and witness the uh, authentic emotional response that they have to the music that they're creating and the show that they're performing and things like that. What are, you know, maybe this is in flux, maybe you're, you're actively trying to pivot how this exists uh, for the future of Cap City, but what's been the process for getting that performer buy-in? Do you feel like you try to design the show, um, you know, visuals aside, music aside, do you try to design it in a way where there's like an underlying emotional theme that you think the membership will latch onto? Are you, are there other ways that you kind of get their authentic, authentic buy-in to what the product is? Yes. Uh, depending on what the show is, there's 
I mean, there's several tactics that we could do. You know, the most obvious one, like I'll come back to that mother show a few years ago where we were lions as cast members. Um, there's obviously like the, you know, the standard across the floors that we could do to like try to encourage kids to get out of their shell, things like that. But in that show specifically, <clears throat> and I've done this with a few productions, but it really came down to just sitting the group down at several points and having some like really open and honest conversations. Um, for me, that show started and was inspired by uh, my mother, which I, I lost my mom in uh, 2016, actually right after WGI that season. And <clears throat> just, uh, you know, I guess just like you would come out of a season and you would evaluate kind of how you feel like the further and further I was removed from that event, the more I started like, I don't know, just remembering and being moved by certain things that she would do and, you know, how, you know, quote unquote, she would be protective of me and my siblings growing up or just the things that she would go to, the links she would go to, to provide and, and for, you know, just to live and for us to survive, et cetera. Um, so that kind of started there. And there's, uh, you know, several emotional layers to that show that uh, really some of those honest conversations became like me opening up and just talking about what that experience was like for me, you know, to see my mother in a suddenly weakened condition and to live through that and what that experience was. Um, we would open the floor up for other members in the group to share similar experiences. Um, certainly not a requirement, obviously, you know, if some folks aren't comfortable doing that sort of thing, but I think as a group, it really made people realize, even if they didn't have a, a tangible experience uh, that they could live out through the show to help make that more real, they were surrounded by people that they understood exactly what happened with them. And, you know, to be a part of telling a story that they could help bring that to life, helped that production a lot. Um, maybe even similar things last year, like I, I think on a grassroots level, um, at the time, I, I was really struggling with whether I really believed or didn't believe in like this activity or what we were doing or, and, and that, you know, that could be based on anything. It could be competitive outcome. It could be just all the normal questions we all ask ourselves at the end of a season. And that's sort of where that show came about. And even just sharing those thoughts with the, the members, you know, especially having, you know, a lot of new membership last year, uh, just getting to share the history of Cap City um, the things that we believed in, the things that maybe we wanted to pivot away from. Um, that was a really interesting way to create the character for that show. Yeah, that's amazing, dude. Yeah, thanks for sharing the stuff about Mother. I, I mean, that was a really, I, I was fortunate enough to see that show. One thing I like about that show in particular and shows of that category, um, the, the category of what I'm saying is like, I love when I can watch a show and there is a very authentic, believable level of emotion from the performers. And I'm gathering some amount of what has inspired the show to come to life. But I'm also certain that there's so much I'm not getting, but that's not like a frustration point. Like I'm, I, I like that to some extent. I, I, as an audience, and I'm fairly certain that not everyone is like this, which is totally okay. Um, I, I rather like the journey of like trying to figure out why did the design team choose to do that? Why are they in that set and not a different set? What is this displaying? You know, what, what are the underlying themes? Some of what you just shared that have motivated this event to exist in the way that it has. Um, and to some extent at the end of the day, I, and actually I, this is a, I'm really interested to get your opinion on this. Um, I don't know how much the audience needs to know all of those things and some groups and some brands, you know, there's a spectrum to this and the activity of how much any one design team wants the audience to get every single detail of the show. Like 
you know, to understand it intellectually. And this isn't to um, diminish either side of that spectrum, because I think it's all valuable. It's just, you know, people kind of bringing their products to life in different ways. When you're taking on a show, and maybe Mother is a good example of this because of the the heaviness of the emotional undertone of what the show is, how much of that concept are you are you wanting the audience to fully understand? And how much of it are you allowing to just be indoor drumline, knowing that like, okay, I'm going to get the audience 20% of what this means to me or 60% of what this means to be. And, and obviously that would impact how you bring the show to life. So what are your kind of thoughts maybe with that show in particular of how much you wanted the audience to be brought there? <laughs> That's a, yeah. I don't quite know how to answer that. Um, there's, I like to think that in what we do, there's so much, you know, w- with any group yourself, um, with your groups or me with Cap City, um, I like to think that there's a lot of purpose behind everything that we do. Um, and I think that, I, I don't know, this, the parts of the show that, especially early on, where it's like, hey, we're just going to kind of, you know, do good band here and just make sure that the dots are in the right place and the form rotates the right way. And, um, you know, we, we reach a visual arrival that's just as exciting as the music and, you know, all the, you know, pacing concerns, things like that. Um, the things in the show that like maybe satisfy or check those boxes are the ones that like quickly become less interesting to me. Um, and that's something, uh, you know, if, if anybody's been watching Cap City for a few years, uh, we tend to change or evolve our show a lot during the season, as most groups do. Uh, and a lot of groups, I think, do that because of, excuse me, drink a lot of coffee. Um, a lot of groups do that because of, you know, I think like competitive success or like the way things are perceived. And we kind of take the opposite approach. Like, um, you know, we'll change something because it's not coming across the way that we want it to come across. Uh, or people like will look at a moment or listen to it and think that, oh, this is exactly why you did that. And this, and it's like not even close. We'll go back through and, and restructure because it it's important. You know, we get six minutes to say all these things about this concept. Uh, it's important that people at least get the string for, you know, all those moments. Um, so, I, you know, with the, where there are places like that in the show, um, we look to try to eliminate those, but at the same time, you know, you're, you're never going to get to everything. And to some people like in that mother production, you know, I, I gen- genuinely think there are people out there that think, Oh, this show is about good lions and bad lions and protecting cups. And that's like on the surface level, you know, you could take that away from the show and there were a lot of exciting things in there. Um, but like you said, there are obviously other layers to things. So. Yeah. Do you ever, I've, I've done a couple shows in my time that were, um, about like substantial personal events in my life that, you know, I felt like needed to be portrayed a very specific way to be true to what they were to me. Do you ever find a time, I think the best way to phrase this question, because of the reality that the the uh, activity is competitive, uh, there are times where I think as a designer, you have to kind of make a decision on how far you're willing to contort what your intentions were so that you can be competitively successful Um, sometimes you have a show where that's not the case and what you have to do to be competitively successful actually is completely in line with, you know, your, the foundation of what the idea is. Sometimes it's not as much. Do you have like a personal line when it comes to designing a show of like how much you let the competitive reality of the activity bleed into your process of how you bring the show to life? Um, I mean, 
to answer the question easily, yes, I think we all kind of have that line. Um, I try to do a couple of things to help mitigate that. One is that we're incredibly aggressive early on with putting as much of, if not all of the show out there as possible. So when we come out at the end of January, like the entire show is on the floor. Now, whether that's like, you know, there's been years where we didn't have the costume or there was, you know, this, these one or two spots that we didn't have produced all the way. Um, but I try to get as much as it, of it as I can out there before I start seeing videos from other groups or seeing other groups live, because I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like you, like my brain just starts going, Oh, why'd you do that as a, as a designer or, you know, this, those, those thoughts start to creep in. And my fear is always that if I start seeing that stuff, it will immediately in the middle of my process, start making me question what I'm doing and like skew me really far off of the intent, if that makes sense. So we try to try to get around that, but yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, there, there is that line. We all think about it. We're all, you know, trying to make those adjustments for us. Uh, in recent years, it's, it's been just the clarity of intent. I mean, there've been times visually where we've had a lot of a lot going on. Um, and I think one thing that we do really well as a group is like produce things at like a really nuanced level. But when you're seeing that and you know, this thing's flying around and then these people got to do this. And then it's just, sometimes it's like really hard to take in all of that. Um, I've been that way musically so many times. Um, I'll, again, coming back to mother, um, you know, it's a show about lions fighting lions or lions killing lions. Uh, what does that sound like? You know, and for me, it's not one voice being presented at a time. I don't think that does, it doesn't create the excitement or the urgency of the moment. Uh, but we definitely took a ton of hits in that show with musically what the clarity of intent was. Um, you know, I, I think, I think we did our due diligence, making sure that those primary voices were heard the entire time, but that was just one where, you know, we, we could have looked at like, Oh, to be competitively more successful, we could start pulling some of these layers back, but it would have, I, I feel it would have drastically altered that product to be something that we just didn't intend to, to do, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting because historically in WGI, you know, well, I guess even forward looking like the, the adjudication sheets and what the activity values and doesn't value and the extent to which they value them, it changes not not super dramatically every year, but to some extent, I mean, some years more so than others, but, you know, I feel like if I look through WGI history, I can see these like mile marker years where someone did something that was a little bit like just foreign to what the sheets had traditionally asked for. And then it almost puts the group in this place of like, okay, that's not what these sheets were made for, but we kind of like where that's going. So how much does the activity conform to the group or how much does the group conform to the activity? And I actually like that about WGI. That's not a slide against WGI. I like that the activity moves and grows and, and things like that. I know it's challenging as a designer because eventually you got to kind of decide how much you believe and are bought into what you're trying to do, knowing that it may not get recognized for what it is at that time, um, which I know is challenging for your overall design process to the extent, like you've mentioned earlier, that there even is an off season. Um, what is your process for just collecting ideas? Do you have like consistent sources of inspiration? Um, whether that's just playlists you listen to, podcasts you listen to, you know, TV shows, movie, whatever it is. Do you have like intentional ways that you're exposing yourself to things to try to create ideas? And then how do you like store those up throughout time so that you have something ready when you want it for your next season? That's a really good question. Um I mean, the answer is yes. I think we're all, you know, inspired by 
a number of different things on a daily basis. Um, I don't know that there's like one well that I keep going back to, you know, I'm not like constantly searching Netflix documentaries or like, there's not just one place that I'm going. Um, it could be, sometimes it's as simple as like, you know, this summer we're driving one of those long nights on swamp tour, you know, we're coming like out of Texas to like, uh, over towards Atlanta for the regional and one of those long bus rides. I'm just like fell asleep with my headphones in and I woke up and this tune was on and it just like, Oh man, this is really cool. Uh, and I didn't like know what that meant in the moment. I just knew that it was like, you know, it, it piqued my creative interest. Um, so I keep in my, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people do this, but I keep in my phone, just like a notes app of like constant, like inspiring things to me. Um, and I call it the two week rule. Like if I'm thinking about it, numerous times within two weeks i'll keep it in the list and i'll like try to formulate that a little bit more um if i don't think about it ever again and it's like not inspiring to me then then maybe it wasn't meant to be and i'll just like keep it off of that list you know there's no because in theory and anything could be creative or inspiring but it's it's not to me so i'll just get rid of it you know so that's that's kind of where that base of that archive is for me yeah that one thing I've also learned, I, I think like a lot of designers have a similar process of trying to catalog things. I feel like when I was younger, I would, um, I would like discount things because I thought that everything I was exposed to had to be a show idea. So like I hear a song and I would, you know, have some sort of emotional response to the song. And I think like, okay, this would make a good concept. And then I would think about the concept and I realized this doesn't make a good concept at all. And I'd be like, okay, so I shouldn't use this song. Instead of realizing like, oh, this song isn't the concept. This There's a part of this song that has one thing that is layer four of a different concept. Um, and that's always hard to figure out in the moment. Like, what level does this idea exist on? Is this the foundation of a show? Is this the backing for a snare break? Is this how I want the wedge to rotate in the third move? Like, it's, and it's hard to figure out what that is um, in the moment. For, for Cap City in general, do you feel like, there is a typical part of the design that comes first, the, a, a musical inspiration, an aesthetic, a prop idea, a concept. Is that Does that change every single year with the Cap City design, or do you find that a lot of those origins come from a similar direction? Yeah, I'm actually really glad you asked that question. Like going back to what you uh, mentioned earlier, like what that process is like at the end of the season in evaluation, that was one four or five years ago that we, well, I guess counting COVID, it's probably five or six years ago. Um, <clears throat> The, uh, the part of that process for me was figuring out, you know, where that starts for us. And I've, since then, I've come to realize, like, for Cap City, like, it has to come from a place where, you know, what the inspiration is makes you feel something. It um, doesn't mean, like, it's a message that we're trying to get across. It's just, hey, when I listen to this music, like, it really brings me in. And I don't know what that is, but there's something about it. Um so it could be that way with the music. Um, there's been years where it started with, you know, a drawing or a painting or some abstract piece of art that, that made that drew that feeling, but it's, it has to be something that has that kind of tangibility to it so that, you know, that, that the members of our group can get on that same level and that same experience, you know? Um, so yeah, I think that's a great question. Yeah. I, Thank you. Uh, I, and I think the, you mentioned something about the, you know, understanding why, which is something that I've thought about a lot when it comes into a drumline where I'll watch a show and I will be moved by it for whatever reason. Um, and 
I don't know why that just happened. I don't know the narrative that led me to that moment. It's not like I finally got what they were trying to portray, so to speak. I like don't understand why I'm moved, but I am moved and that's enough for me. I'm like, I wouldn't have gotten here if something, you know, amazing didn't just happen. Um, and I actually find that to be a little bit of like a, uh, there's maybe some some difference of thought in the activity of how much the why has to exist from a conceptual standpoint. How much do you have to explain what you just did? How much do I, as the audience member, have to understand your reasoning for why? And I'm not necessarily talking about clarity of intent um, from like a compositional standpoint. I'm talking about like the thematic underlying. How much of that do I have to know as an audience member? Because I see shows sometimes... Um, and maybe uh, Broken City is an example of this. I remember, specifically remember in 2019, um, they did a show and it was amazing and it won and I got to see it and I loved every second of it. And I have no idea what inspired it. I don't know what the narrative was. I don't know what, it, but I know that something was inspiring it. I knew someone knew something that was leading to what those moments were. Um, and that was a bit, I don't know, for me, that experience is like a mile marker of me realizing like, okay, maybe maybe the audience doesn't have to know every detail about what, you know, I, as the designer think about this idea. Um, as long as the ideas are presented in a way that is impactful and moving and intentional and clear, um, which is really interesting. Um, so for Cap City, when you, when you all kind of get to the point of what you were just discussing, what does the team dynamic look like in terms of the creative process? So like how long, um, do you all hang out in the, the free flowing ideas? kind of phase where everyone's just throwing things out. Do you have like an intentional cutoff where like, okay, we're putting pen to paper on this date. So let's get, you know, we got to get the ideas to this certain point. Do you let that be present the whole season or like, how do you kind of organize the creative process from the team aspect? Yeah. Um, as far as like, Hey, there's a, you know, this is the, the diehard date that we got to have something. Um, yeah. I'd like to think that that's the case, but I mean, last year at, I was dead set on a show and we had talked about it and, you know, James and I are like picking music. I already like arranged an opener for this show that we we're going to do. And then I don't know, it's probably first week of November, second week of November. I think I told you about this actually one of the Trump court camps, but um, it was like first or second week of November. And I was like, you know what? Like I, this is a good show, but like, I don't think it's the, like, it's, it's not that feeling, you know, I was talking about earlier. Like I, it didn't get me out of bed anymore. And it took uh you know, having a, I think it was like a Halloween party over at a, a good friend of, of my house. Um, and it took him just saying like, you know, are you excited about it? You don't sound very excited about it. I'm like, you know what? You're right. I probably am not very excited about it. <laughs> so we, you know, and at that point we're like, we've had members for six weeks and we're like already down the rabbit hole of the show. So we like completely punted and just did a, a different show last year. And, you know, for better or worse, uh, you know, I love that show way more than I think I was going to love the, the first show at the time. So I don't know that, that there's a date there, but for us, it's a little different now because the core of the design team, you know, we've, we've been doing this for a couple seasons together. So we've, we've able to like think tank a couple different shows and, and have them kind of in reserve and we'll just pick up on whenever we're inspired by it. But uh, early on what that process was like was, you know, we, we would all just kind of bring some of those inspirations to the table we'd take two weeks away and just like not speak to each other and not really think about it. Um, and then the next time we met two weeks later, it was like, all right, we're, we're not getting off the call until we like feel good about a general direction of one of these, these shows. Um, 
And for me, I think that's the part of the process that is probably the most important. Um, I mean, there's, there are other things in there. Like we could talk about costumes and drill and music and all these different things, but like the general direction it's heading in is probably the most important and the hardest thing to like, you know, speaking from experience this last year, the hardest thing to like punt on and to correct. You think about it like a, I don't know, I'm going on a cruise this week. So I'm like been researching like big boats and stuff. But think about like how hard it is to like turn that giant ship in a general direction versus like, you know, turning left off of your street in your car, you know, uh, when it comes to the show design, like I, I think it's really difficult to steer the macro direction. And in some ways, like maybe you notice this in groups you design for, but a lot of times it's not even like, Oh, we did this show this year and we were really successful. And like, I have all these questions and these things, but like, I think the thing to realize is like, you just pointed the ship in a direction and the end of whatever that season was, isn't the destination. It was just the next place it was pointed and you're still traveling, you know? So trying to figure out as a design team, like what that is constantly, you know, that, that for me is more intriguing than even just nailing down every little bit of whatever current concept we're in. I just, I think it makes a successful team too. Like we all get to know each other a little bit more. We understand each other's like likes and dislikes, things like that. You know, when something comes up uh, in the program, you feel like you've painted yourself in a corner uh, because we operate that way. Usually somebody can just step up and solve the problem. You never really get stuck, you know? Yeah, it's a it's a challenging thing to get exactly right in terms of the team dynamic. Um, I mean, for a number of reasons. One, just because people are inherently different. Uh, two, because the creative process is inherently vulnerable to some extent. Um, and I, I feel like I've been on a, a enough different kinds of teams now to realize that there really isn't one way in which good shows come to life. Um, there's kind of a bunch of different templates of how that works. And I think it's specifically relative to the people that are in the room, um, that are making that show come to life. So what do you feel like is that, what does that look like for Cap City, um, specifically in terms of that team? Um, there's a, a large amount of your team that's now been, with the organization for some time, um, which I would assume leads to more comfort in the process and maybe more uh, consistency to the systems that that looks like. How has that looked different over the course of Cap City's history as it's the, the ensemble has established itself more and created expectations and have um, similar personnel and things like that in terms of the design process? Um, I think that's a, that's a tough one for me. <laughs> um, I mean, first and foremost, I guess the, what does that look like within the team? Um, I think that level of comfortability that you're talking about, um, I think, you know, comfortability versus vulnerability. Um, I think in our instance, it's, it's as soon as, especially for me, like as soon as like I hit a wall with an idea or something that I feel uncomfortable with, it's like, man, I really like this concept, but like, I'm not really sold on like, you know, us being lions in a concept, or I'm not really sold on uh, this aspect of a show. Um, that comfortability means that I can turn to any person on the team at any point in time and find what they're, I don't know, what they grab onto, like why they're so comfortable with an idea versus maybe where I'm not. And that's uh, because I was able to be vulnerable in those moments or anybody on the team, um, because they're able to be vulnerable and communicate with each other you're just more accepting of that information. And it's never like, you know, I've definitely been in situations before designing with teams and programs where it was more about 
the my dog's like growling in the background uh, where it was more about the like well this is my idea and this is my idea and like we were constantly like explaining it to each other like trying to win somebody over but in this instance it's more like just trying to understand their beliefs in something a little bit more it just feels less combative it's less hostile um i feel like that's that's been the biggest difference in like the longevity of that planning process is, is that kind of what you're asking yeah yeah and I'm, I'm i'm it's always curious about how those teams develop what it looks like over time i think the um the comfort goes a long way in terms of sharing ideas i think one way i've noticed that in particular is like sometimes i'll be in a design meeting and uh, i'll have a thought about the show and I don't even know if I like the thought that I'm having about what the show is. Like, I don't even know if it's interesting or if it's cool or unique or original or even worth saying. And I've learned to just say it no matter what, um, with no expectation of what comes from it. Um, just to make sure that there's like an authenticity to what the process is and that any real time reactions to where the conversations are going are shared so that everyone can kind of like participate in what that is. Kind of what I was talking about earlier with like, even just like my personal process of not like being overly analytical with how important or unimportant an idea is that I have in terms of like a future show concept. Um, you know, it can just, and maybe, maybe what I'm saying has no specific bearing on the way the show goes, but it does have a bearing on how someone else is thinking about the show and motivates their mind in a new direction. And then they come up with, you know, the idea, so to speak of, of where that inevitably ends up going. Um, but it's the, the creative process is so I don't want to say complicated, but it's just so different with everyone. And it's even, even with similar groups of people, it's different, like on a year to year basis as people change. And as maybe in the, you know, in the instance of like, if you talk about a specific ensemble, like Cap City, like you all, I would imagine aren't designing in a vacuum. You're designing with a history of Cap City, you know, kind of in mind to some extent, and you're designing with a future in mind of Cap City, but there's like, like we were talking about with the brand, there's like some amount of a parameter now. What is Cap City? What are our constraints? You know, who do we want to be? Where have we been that we love? Where have we been that we hate? How are we trying to get away from that? Um, have you found that any of that motivates like the underbelly of where a show goes? Um, <clears throat> honestly, yeah. Um, I remember a conversation you and I were having a little while back about something similar and I mean, really what, what it comes down to is like perceived identity. You know, they, the longer you do something, the more you figure, figure out how you do it. And the better you get at that, the more used to it, you know, the community, the judges, whoever uh, get, uh, I remember coming out of a show, the uh, take the lion show, for example, I remember coming out of a critique that year where we were told, I just don't feel like they perform as much as 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 much as you usually do and like in my brain i'm like well we're not competing against cap city from a few years ago uh, i certainly think we perform way more than some of our competitors in that range uh, and that's not a slight to anybody else it's just you know we're, we're doing what's unique to our identity um and that's always kind of stuck with me as like you know we you have to again back to that like freighter analogy right you have to steer the ship but you can't like drastically change it like if we came out this year and did you know i don't know like in a if there's some weird world where uh we could do the show that pulse did last year and they had never done that before if we came out next year with that identity and just did that and played as well as they did in all those things um i don't know that it would be as well received 
with with our group. And that's not like a slight on us or any other group. I think everybody has a very unique identity that they exist within that that really helps some of these shows come to life, you know. Um, and I could talk about like performance and like being character driven with our own group as being a strong suit. But at the end of the day, like I think there are other ensembles out there that are even better at that. You know, I think about a lot of the shows that Music City Mystique has done and like how just undeniable those performers have been to those concepts. You know, you could go back and watch the hand of man or mantra or, you know, even all the way back to like that music city traveling sideshow, you know, 2006, you, I mean, you could pick any show along their lineage and just realize how committed they were to that. Um, and I think that every ensemble has those little pieces that, you know, if you're not careful and you depart away from those things, it's, it's going to be, you know, a, a tough selling point. You know, the, the activity, like you said earlier, is constantly progressing and constantly evolving. But what makes the activity vulnerable enough to do that is knowing that there's all these different identities in the room, you know? Yeah, it makes it, I mean, there's a, that has a lot of implications from the adjudication side of things, for sure, um, which is something we probably should talk about. But even from the audience side, it's interesting just because you're, I feel like what you're really talking about is the, the viewers considering their own bias for the group, right? Like, you know, for me, I, and for everyone, I think all of us have kind of certain maybe expectations for certain groups based on what we've observed historically. And when that group takes the floor, we are seeing them through the lens of that expectation, which is really great for some groups and maybe not, you know, competitively and maybe not so great for other groups. Um, and that's hard to rid it, you know, cause I'm, I'm guilty just like everyone is of that, you know, sir, I, associate certain brands with championship level excellence. And when they take the floor, I expect to see what that is, or I expect to see something I've never seen in my life before, which is such a bold thing to say, like, you know, show me something I've never seen in my entire life. Like that's a crazy thing to even think about. Um, do you, are you, have you ever judged at all in the indoor realm? Say that again. Have you ever judged at all? Yeah. Uh, I've done a fair amount of judging. Uh, it's been a couple of years. The most recently I did some overview for our state circuit last year and the year before um, the COVID season, we were able to offer like an in-person opportunity. I think I saw every single group in the circuit, at every single show that we had live that season. Um, so that put me one really in tune with the indoor groups in this area, but definitely done some judging there. Um, yeah. I agree with exactly what you're saying. Like the, there's this like presumed bias that people have when it comes to those groups. And as a judge, do you, do you feel like, do you feel like that's something that a, an adjudicator should be intentionally ridding their mind of when a group sets up? Like, should, should you view that group from a completely blank slate? Like almost like plug your ears when the, uh, the name of the group is announced, like no preconceived notions about what's going to happen. Or do you think that it's, it's completely fair that there, there's expect, I mean, obviously those expectations exist. So it's, it's just a matter of how much do you feel like a judge should lean into those or kind of clear their mind of those? Um, I think that's a fair question. I would use like the example I just made. Um, I had done some judging indoors, but never like a lot in our own circuit, mostly because of affiliations. Um, and that, you know, my high school group, my independent groups, et cetera. And that COVID season, I got to do a lot because there were no like real competition. There were no numbers or any of that stuff. Um, so where I'm going with this is there are a lot of like, you know, I'll take Olentangy Liberty High School here in town 
Um, I never really get the chance to see them as much as I did that year. And they have a very clear identity for their program. Um, what every school does. Um, so for me, you know, not being able to see the groups that are immediately around me all the time in that light, um, I didn't have any preconceived notions for what they should be doing. I felt like I was the most objective in terms of, you know, who satisfied this criteria the best, so to speak. Um, I think if I had that opportunity again now, you know, I would, obviously I remember what Olin Tangier Liberty High School was like in that, in that year. And when they come out and, you know, if they've got these giant props and they create this gorgeous aesthetic with their show, like I'm immediately, yep, this is very Olin Tangier. And like the, there's all these subconscious thoughts of, you know, boxes that they're checking for themselves within their identity that make me feel more comfortable, I guess. So if I were to compare that to what you just asked, you know, I, I think that's only human nature that judges would expect, you know, when, when RCC comes around the curtain, they obviously know who RCC is and they they've witnessed some of these just phenomenal moments that have happened over the course of the last few decades. And uh, that this is that group and, you know, they still represent those same concepts. Um, I think it's really tough to, to shut that off. I really do. Uh, the one place where I feel like it, it really is so objective does come down to the execution or it should come down to the execution. Like when somebody comes around the curtain, you said in your mind, you're like, Oh, this is a championship caliber ensemble. I expect it's going to be championship caliber playing. Um, which, which is a good thought. I think we could all have that bias except when it's not right. Like when they come around the curtain and it's February and it, it maybe it's not championship quality yet. Maybe somebody else is at that show and they, they do have a good day or a better day than that group. Um, you know, for me, I think that those sorts of decisions should be pretty objective. Um, you know, I certainly hope there aren't people out there that are looking at it like, oh, well, it's a championship caliber group. They're going to get it to that level. Um, so I'm just going to assume that it's there and, and you know, and score it accordingly. Um, you know, I always come down to the, the shows today. You know, what, what what happened today? How was it today? Was it championship caliber today? Or where – so I genuinely – I. I really feel like people do the right thing and they're very objective with that. Um, but, you know, I think we'd all be remiss in admitting that that thought is out there with other people. Yeah. And I'm, I'm certainly not trying to make a case against the adjudicators inside of WGI or anything like sure, that. It's yeah, more yeah. so just a recognition of just the reality of the challenge of doing that job. Um, and, uh, sure. and it is hard. And I, I do agree if you bring up a good point on the, I do feel like to the extent that, objectivity is present in our adjudication system it is more present or it's easier to be present on the execution side than it is on the creative side like i feel like even in dci i feel like for whatever reason that part of it is more black and white and then the creative side of it is you know that's where it gets really challenging in terms of particularly in terms of competition like in terms of as an adjudicator rating like that was more or less creative and i know i'm not using all the of the uh the wording that's on the sheet. So I'm not trying to like oversimplify what judging looks like, but, um, but it is certainly is a challenge um, for what you um, now do with WGI. Um, let me get the title, right. Percussion representative on the board and a member of the steering committee. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Um, how much of that? Cause I would assume a lot of people don't know what that looks like specifically. And there's even a, a large part of that, that I'm sure I don't even know what it looks like specifically, but um, what amount of that, role in that committee is tied into the adjudication process right now, the sheets in particular. Well, the, I would think about those two jobs as 
uh, very focused in specific directions. Um, and, and I would also preface this by saying this is my first year in either of those positions. And I'm always viewing my role as, you know, needing to be back and to just listen about where this has been. Um, that, you know, I just jumped into a role on a ship that's moving in a direction and I need to be aware of why it's moving in that direction and what those goals are uh, before I just come in and like try to like derail anything. Um, not that that's what I've done. I've actually just done my fair share of listening. Um, but the WGI board is, um, I mean, honestly, it is, that's a very humbling experience. It's a lot of representation from uh, color guard, winds, and percussion, as well as some at-large members that aren't affiliated with the activity. Uh, just to have multiple opinions on what it's like for this organization to keep progressing forward. Um, I am constantly like beside myself, just listening to how people, even people like myself that are like their designers and their competitors and their teaching and all these things, like how they speak to the activity is I mean, it, this, there's never like an I or a me and it's always like a we and when, you know, it's always on behalf of everybody. It's always for the greater good. Um, so that, you know, I, I feel like in that regard, um, you know, they're always looking, I know this isn't the case, but I would say like the current people in that room aren't necessarily like whatever happens this next season, uh, you know, operationally for the organization is probably a byproduct of what this body did before this season. Um, and what's happening right now are the things that we're, you're going to see come into fruition, like in the future. Um, so that's a really interesting uh, place to be and job to have. Um, the steering committee is more what you just said. Um, that's that's a committee that's comprised of the director of percussion, Mark Thurston, um, a few percussion representatives, and uh, a few judge representatives as well. Um, I think currently at the percussion advisory board meeting, there's a lot of discussion around wanting to see the visual sheet evolve a little more. Uh, we've seen some great progression with, excuse me, music and splitting the effect captions a few years ago. And now the, uh, you know, the eldest of all of that criteria is the visual sheet and that it's time to see that evolve. So I know there's a lot of great conversation around that. And that's kind of a project now that that team has to take on is, you know, how do we hear the community and make those changes and propose something together with some input from all of those bodies. Um, so that, that's sort of what that, that position entails and what that, that committee um, is involved with. Yeah, that's cool, dude. Yeah. I've, I'm, I've uh, been to the board meeting once um, and mm -hmm. I've a lot of the people that are, are on there um, all of which I have a lot of respect for and um, you know, trust them having the future of the activity in their hands, which is great. Um, so do you feel like the visual sheet is the prominent talking point of those conversations right now i don't know how much of this is even like public i don't know if i'm assuming this is all we can talk about all this right um I, i'm sure there are plenty of aspects that like i i can't and probably shouldn't share okay okay we can move on. <laughs> I, I mean walking I, I think that's that should be public enough knowledge like walking away from that advisory board meeting like i think that was an ask from that body was that hey we, we spent some time working on this um if i, I can't even remember what those specific proposals were and that meeting, but I know that there was a lot of conversation generated around it. And, you know, from being on that advisory board for six or seven years now, uh, uh, that usually happens a lot is that there's a conversation piece around a specific topic where, you know, the community learns that, oh, I'm not the only one that feels this way about this. There's a lot of groups 
that also feel like this. And, you know, the, the best they can do is just have the conversation, present it. And then, you know, Mark and the crew takes it to, to the, the wood shop and tries to get to work and, and see if we can't make it better. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. My one experience at uh, going, I think I went in um, 2019 yeah, after the 2019 season. Um, it was really cool. It was really awesome to be in that room, to be around that many people, to hear the similarities of opinion that were like some, to a large extent, very encouraging for where my head was at, but also to hear the differences of opinion and to hear people voice things and me, you know, just because of whatever struggles their personal program has that I didn't think about because those weren't the struggles of my program or vice versa. Um, it's a cool experience, um, for sure. I want to go back to one thing we, we kind of opened up a little bit, um, which was competition, which is something we, we spoke about a pretty good amount at scouts last summer. Um, and it's something that's just been really top of mind for me recently. And I'm, I'm growing more and more curious as to how people are thinking about it. Um, so specifically for cap city in where you all are at going into 2024, what, what role does competition play in your process of the season um that could be from a show design standpoint like how much of that are you do you have a show design goal this show needs to be able to get x placement is it more of a score and less of a placement are you even though you said you you know maybe judges have held you um to a competitive standard of cap cities pass do you hold yourself to a standard of cap cities pass like okay i want this year to be better than every other cap city show like from the design side of things how present if at all is competition in your all slot process um, I mean, there's a, a couple times where that definitely comes up. Um, some of those earlier reflection periods at the end of a season, um, again, which way we're going to point the ship, um, competition is usually a factor in that, especially being Im immediately removed from, you know, the final competition and those results. Um, this time of year is honestly one of my favorite times of year because, We've already decided what we're going to do, which direction we're going in. And it really is like, you know, I would say it's September, October, November, any group, you know, last year, I think there were 32 PIW groups in September, October, November, any group could be the first place group right now. And if I think the moment that everybody has that mindset, um, it is a little more, it is nerve wracking. It's also kind of freeing. Like, you know, at this time of year, I feel like we've picked the direction we're going in. And now we're just going to have an absolute blast, like teaching the members to get up to that level, putting the show on, producing the show to a standard and to be able to tell the story and say the things that we want to say. Um, I think that uh, into January, beginning of February, Mark, I was mentioning earlier where competitions start. I think that's where some of those thoughts start to kind of make their way back in. And then, you know, obviously at world championships, it's very cyclical. You know, those are probably the three times a year that I would say that competition does have a factor on that. Uh, it's interesting that you bring that up. Um, I'm actually really good friends with one of my best friends is Rob Ferguson from matrix percussion. Uh, and we constantly, I mean, we just got coffee like two weeks ago, sat down, we like swap shows with each other. And like, you know, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? I don't know what color my tarp should be. We have, what do you think about this one prop? Uh, so we're like constantly just like swapping that sort of stuff. And I think the comp like, we can sit across the table and be like, Oh, we're competitors right now. This is really weird. But like I was saying, like this time of year, like anybody's the winner. Um, and we'd be silly to not like exhaust each other's resources for what that is. You know, I, I know you and I did a little bit of that kind of early on last year, just kind of talking about our shows to each other and 
just some initial impressions, but I think, I think if more people were willing to remove the competitive aspect from it, the, the better our art's going to be, the better these shows are going to be, the more enjoyable the experience will be for the kids. They're going to love what they're doing even more. Um, versus like, man, I really had this like cool marimba part that I played with the snares, but they had to cut it because clarity of intent. Like that's such a like competitive thing, you know, saying like it's on the sheet and we got nailed for it last weekend. So we're going to make this like really clear. Um, but nothing, none of, none of that decision was contrived from like artistically where the show was going. It came from like a competitive result, you know, and we all kind of do it and that's the name of the game, but yeah, I think I answered your question and then ended with an even bigger question. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I mean, it's, it, competition plays like a number of different roles, I think, in people's processes. Do you talk about it to the membership at all? Um, you know, maybe outside of just the design is that's do you set those mile markers for the ensemble? Do you ignore them? And then maybe most uh, specifically, once the season starts, the competitive season, once the numbers start getting down, once you, you know, Cap City starts to get put in a certain area and you have whatever amount of perceived trajectory or lack thereof on a given season, is that something you talk about with the membership with? Do you, how do you, because I've, you know, I've, as all of us have, uh, competition can quickly derail seasons. It can also, maybe benefit seasons. It just, it depends on how it gets utilized. So what's kind of the cap city way, so to speak of integrating that into the culture. Um, that's a good question. I think you and I are pretty similar just in having some conversations with you last summer that competition is, it's not good and it's not bad. It's just a, a constant, uh, I don't know, barometer of how it's going, what's going on, a constant measurement of, whatever the variable is, my design, their execution, um, my comparison to other groups. Um, and I said me, like just as representing Cap City, but um, so I think that we're pretty similar there. And I think that competition, like using it as that barometer is a good thing. Um, we can be and have been the last place group at a regional before and you know, turned around in six weeks time and been to world championships and beat every single one of those groups. And those groups like didn't progress as far in those rounds. Um, and I think that that's kind of a testament to not being affected by the, the competition, but really just using it as a benchmark, you know? Um, and you gotta be real with yourself. Like there, there have been times where we've been in that situation where we had the whole show out there and we felt pretty good about it, but there's a lot of a lot and a lot of cleaning that needed done, et cetera to make those concepts come across clearly to the judging community and where other groups might come out and be a little more clear and a little cleaner and have a really good day. And, you know, they would, they would beat us. Um, it's sometimes it's just being objective about what that is too. And, and side note, and also like celebrating your friends when that happens, you know, like everybody can be really upset and like, you know, maybe even like kind of snippy with each other about competition, but like, you know, at the end of the day, we're all doing the same thing. And like your, you know, your down day is somebody else's up day. And you got to remember that because you, you'll be on the other side of that too, you know, um, celebrating each other, I think is a huge part of what makes that competition not be so doom and gloom, but a little bit more motivational in that way. So, I mean, we view it as a barometer. Uh, we're talking about with the kids a lot early on. Uh, it usually manifests from, you know, early on saying, Hey, we have to spend a lot of time on these fundamentals. We have to spend a lot of time doing X, Y, and Z. You have to understand where that standard is right now and try to meet that. 
because at the end of the day, like we're training so that we can feel good later in the process. You know, it's, I would say it's fun being really good. Um, and that, that's kind of where that competition starts for us. Um, I've had plenty of conversations early season about the, the sheets and the criteria that they're, or the lens that they're viewed through. Um, you would kind of expect that like as a college student, right? That's probably most comparable to what they're doing. They start a course at the beginning of the semester, they get the syllabus, they know exactly what's going to happen the entire time and what's going to be passing and what's going to be failing. Uh, we spent a lot of time going through the sheets, talking about that. Um, after the first show, we'll put up tapes um, for the kids to listen to. We'll talk about them. We'll look at the sheets. Um, sometimes we can even identify with the kids. If, if, if they've you know, really come to understand those things, they could say, man, this, this judge didn't really talk about the, you know, the top half of that music sheet very much. And be like, oh, you're exactly right. Um, because those things happen, you know, that's, that's not a shortcoming for anybody. But um, so I, I think that's a pretty positive use of competition throughout our season, more so than like, hey, you guys won, share this banner on Facebook. Or, hey, you guys lost, go be really bitter in, you know, Drunk War Planet or whatever the chats are. Um, yeah, you just, it, it's it's a constant benchmark and it's motivating, it's humbling, it's all of those things. And I, I think it's a really good tool if you use it that way. Yeah, I think so too. I and mean, I use it, I use it a lot personally. Um, I, you know, I'm very competitive um, and I'm really content right now with where competition exists in my personal life. Like if I, if I think of like last season um, and my, my time with Connexus and in, in, in that role, um, you know, we beat Cap City at the Indy Regional, which was the first time that had happened in the organization's history. I specifically remember you calling me to congratulate me, um, which was awesome, you know, testament to you kind of living out what you were, were just talking about a second ago. Um, and from a competitive standpoint, you know, that of course feels good. Like it always does. Um, because, because of who Cap City has been historically and because of Connexus wanting to be in that, you know, finalist round and realizing that, you know, at a bare minimum, this, this makes that a possibility. Um, and then I remember going to Dayton and Cap City beat Connexus. And I was also grateful for that because that was also just, as you were talking about, just a reminder, like it's, I think it's easy in WGI to, to think that whatever the most recent competitive outcome was, is just what's going to happen. Um, which is not the case at all. Thankfully is not the case. Um, and so I remember after that weekend, you know, how I used that weekend of, of Connexus losing to Cap City. I watch all the shows. I always watch every show. I love watching shows. I still watch shows. Um, and I really pick apart Cap City's show and every show that, that, that beat Connexus that weekend to figure out what is everything that other groups know how to do that we don't know how to do yet? Like, why, what are they doing that we haven't figured out? Um, and there's always a bunch of stuff. And I really do learn a lot from that process. And to me, like, that's what the, that's the benefit of the competition. The, the, the benefit of the competition is not necessarily the outcome of what it is. The benefit of the competition is that, you know, if we take the Indy regional, Dayton regional as the, the sample size for this, like both of those with different outcomes, both made me better at what I do winning and losing, you know, in quotation marks to that regard, maybe better at what I do, which is why um, I really do value it. And I watch a bunch of videos right now too. Like even, even outside of just PIW, which I, I've, you know, I've seen every PIW finalist show dozens of times. Um, but even outside of that, like I watch a lot of A-class shows, open-class shows, because I, as you do, design for those groups. And I want to know what the standard is at that level. I want to know what people are doing in those classes that's, um, you know, pushing the barriers of what's possible or, exactly what does it mean to be a class exactly what does it mean to be open class and what are these groups doing that are kind of 
you know, paving the way for what that looks like. Um, so yeah, I really, I really do. Um, I've been talking about it with a lot of people because I'm really curious about where people are at it. And I feel like for one of the first times in my life, I'm content with how I view competition. Um, because as I've shared before, I've, I've just kind of ridden the roller coaster in every direction of like completely ignoring it. And I didn't really love the outcomes that that had. And also getting like way too in the deep end of what it is and not liking the outcomes that that had. Um, and I've seen it misused a lot of times. I've also been around for when it's used positively. So I'm always curious um, just how people go about that. Do you feel like that's, do you feel like kind of the way that you're, you're talking about using it at CAP, is that the expectation that the students have when they show up? Or do you feel like if you didn't have those conversations with your team, there would be a lot of like discrepancy in terms of how competition was viewed inside of the organization? That's a good question. Um, I guess I would preface this by saying I worked in sales for a really long time. Um, I did about seven years in music retail. Um, I used to run, uh, everybody will hate me for this. I used to run a telemarketing branch of like, you know, two forty person shifts. Of thing. Like I was actually pretty talented. I mean that in the most humbling way possible, but at like sales and like being able to like just describe strategy and such. Um, and one of the terms there is always like controlling the narrative. Um, it's, but like, even like, you know, let's say you go to the Apple store, uh, whoever that expert is that you're talking to at the Apple store, like they're at some point in their mind trying to like achieve this goal. That's get you out the door with an Apple bag in your hand. Um, and they're going to do whatever they can to control that narrative. Um, and you know, in that company's instance, it's, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to play to you. I'm going to talk to you how you want to be talked to. I'm going to help you with whatever you need. And if I can get you a few accessories along the way, that's what we're going to do. Um, we talk about competition in a way not to control the narrative, but to like educate the students on what that narrative is. If that makes sense. Um, it'd be like you going to the Apple store, not knowing anything about Apple and being like, you know, need a new phone, do not work, you know, whatever sort of your caveman, I guess that's what that is. Um, <laughs> you know, you, you give that device to them, they set you up, whatever. Or you can walk in just like completely informed about everything that Apple has. And you're like, I think it's this chip problem. I'm really interested in this phone. I don't need the cameras. I, like there's a difference in those two people. Both of them need help and products, but one of them is more informed than the other. Um, we just try to make our membership as informed as possible so that, you know, it's, it's 2024 now. Everybody has access to recaps. It's not just something that goes out on comp suite. Like it goes out live and kids look at those things. And most times they know what we scored and who we beat in music or who stomped us in vision factor. They know all those things before I do. And the best course of action that we could take as a group is just to make sure that the kids understand that criteria and what those numbers mean. You know, what's a, if in music, if those two numbers are six tenths apart, eight tenths apart, um, you know, what sort of flags those send up in terms of the message of the judge? You know, if there were a ton of groups at a show, like take world championships, is it possible that we could be seventh in content and 19th in achievement? Man, that would be a real bummer, but it's absolutely possible. Um, you know, I'd look at world championships last year, um, even just in our round. Um, I think we were like, fifth, sixth, seventh range in most of those subcaption ordinals. And then you get over to music and it's like, we were, I forget, we were like 28th or something for the day in music. And it's like, man, how did that happen? Um, but then they can understand like, oh, well, like this happened, but it's an average between two judges. And like, this is how that affected the overall score. So like the kids, I don't think anybody was really bummed about those sorts of things because we had those conversations. 
Um, you know, obviously I think everybody like deep down would love to see, you know, Canaxis one, 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 one across the board. Uh, but that's just not, you know, for any group, even the best groups in the country, like that's not the case, you know? So having the kids like be competitively informed, I think is a really valuable tool. Yeah. I think especially since a lot of them are going to end up being educators and designers inside of, or adjudicators or whatever it ends up being administrators inside of the activity. Um, yeah. I love that dude. I love the educational value of that. Um, especially because I think it, once you understand the parameters of the competition that we've all signed up for, I, I don't know, it's just a little more freeing. You don't have to, like, you're not left to your own devices as much um, to just kind of like have to assume what happened on the day. Or if you don't understand the criteria in which we're all evaluated, you are kind of forced to make up whatever it is. Um, yeah. So I think that's a great strategy. Um, I love that for the students that they get to grow in what that is. And I love how that probably sets up <clears throat> some of their inevitable futures inside of the activity. Um, that's great, dude. Um, the only other thing I wanted to talk about was just was Madison and where that exists for you right now. Um, you are the the newly appointed percussion caption head, which is much deserved. And um, I wanted to kind of feel out kind of some of what we're talking about with cap, just what you view in for the future of what that percussion ensemble looks like. Um, you know, we, we've had one uh, of our satellite camps um, and the team has been assembled and, um, you know, obviously a lot of work has already been done. Um, but what's kind of like the overall vision you have for that moving forward? Um, what kind of new possibilities do you think exist? Um, what are similar to what we talk about with cap? What are kind of maybe the staples or the pillars of the brand that you like, that you want to keep? Where's your head at with all that right now? Uh, where's my head at with all that? Um, I think in a really great space. Um, last year was my first year with Madison scouts having, you know, I've taught my fair share of drum corps. I've not been, you know, like on the road every single day for the last 12 years. Um, but I've definitely been in the activity enough to know, you know, what works well, what doesn't work well in these you know organizations. And walking through the door last year at Madison Scouts, I was like constantly impressed at the level of professionalism in the administration um, that the educational staff showed, the amount of planning uh, that was laid out for the member experience. Um, and the thing that I enjoyed the most actually was the culture within the percussion section. And that's something that is going to continue at scouts. And I, I think it's important that like most things in our world, people realize like it's not, you know, when, when, when that group is more successful and I say when, not if, but when that group is more successful, um, it isn't like a sudden result that made that happen. A lot of times it's usually just the stars aligning in the correct way. Uh, there are a ton of great things that are happening there. And one of those is just the, the energy, the commitment uh, to musicianship within the percussion section, uh, the culture, the way they treat each other, their work ethic, all of those things operate at such a high level within the drum corps and the percussion section. Uh, I definitely want those things to continue. And that's been a result because of the work that's been happening there, you know, with you and, and the teams in years prior. Um, so that's a goal. We want to continue doing that. Um, I really want to keep pushing, and this is something I think we do extremely well with the core, is pushing in that percussion section that high level of musical excellence. Um, I think that uh, even more so than some other places that I've been around, um, I think we build the the members, just period, as musicians. I think we spend the entirety of the season making them 
better percussionists and better snare drummers and better people and all of these things. And it's not just about like, okay, what new thing can we track today to keep their triplet rolls a little bit lower and a little bit tighter. Uh, but it's more like those kind of overarching brush strokes of how to be great musicians. Um, and that's, I want to keep putting more eggs in that basket because even in just in my one year with the organization, I saw that pay off pretty huge. Um, I used the front ensemble last year as an example. I thought they were super young. Uh, we had some great retention and we had a lot of great, like, you know, green uh, performers to the activity. Um, and what they were able to do ac across the course of the season was like pretty astounding. Um, and it, like on the battery side too, I just didn't get to witness that as much, you know, in the trenches every day, like you did, but, um, I definitely want to keep trying to excel in that area. I feel like all the other things there, the way that we operate, the culture is right. I think that member experience is right. And I think that to make it even better for them, we're, we just need to excel more on that music side. And I'm looking forward to digging in. Yeah, that's cool, dude. Yeah. And it, it, going back to something you were talking about earlier with cap, if like in drum cores in, in particular, you were talking about how you know, big shift or big ships make small turns, basically, um, you know, drum cores are huge ships. There's so many people involved and so many moving parts and so many variables and the tour schedule and everything like this. It's, it's this like massive complicated organism, um, which is part of what makes it cool. Um, it's just, that is the reality of what it is. Um, and, uh, so all that to say it's, it's, it's made me realize the, the amount of investment, from the number of people that it takes to, to get things going where you want them to be going. Um, and it's cool to see, you know, that brand go where I know it can. Um, and it's cool to see it continue to build in the directions that we know to be good. Um, and also to change, um, in the directions that we know can be better. Um, that's awesome. Dude. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I mean, it's, you know, I have a, <laughs> a perspective. I've been there the whole, the whole time and, uh, um, we'll, we'll still be there and, um, excited to work together more of course um i think that's probably about all the time we have i appreciate it a lot of uh a lot of great stuff dude i think it's really cool to to hear your perspective on everything it's really cool to hear what cap city looks like um after the historical run that it's had you know being around for as long as it has now and to hear kind of what those experiences have led for you um i know people enjoy what you all put out because it's always cool um, but I just appreciate you, dude. Thanks. Thanks for your time. Thanks for, uh, for chatting and thanks for doing everything you do for the activity. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. This is a blast. <laughs>